he said, book some time with me tomorrow. And so he booked, we booked some time, go walk into the conference room. And he said, uh, he said, he said something like, it's been really tough around here lately. Um, a lot of issues. And I'm like, and I started to like almost relate to it. I'm like, yeah, it has been difficult. And he's like, and all the, and all the problems are caused by you. <laughs> You're the problem. <laughs> Ground Up, Episode 1. I first met Pete Caputa sometime in 2012, when I first started working for a HubSpot partner agency. And to those of us in the HubSpot partner community, he was, and still is, a mini-celebrity. He was the guy that built the HubSpot partner program, the platform that allowed so many small, younger agencies to gain traction so quickly. Pete was like Oz, except he was really cool, and he didn't hide behind a curtain. He was visible. He was genuine. He was generous with his time. He cared about agencies and startups a lot. He was always willing to help, and he was really, really honest. I remember a time, it was during one of the inbound conferences, where me and a few coworkers at the time found ourselves at this shady diner in the back bay of Boston around 1 a.m. Pete came with us. We stayed talking, asking questions, eating French toast for well over an hour. That's just who Pete is. He's not just whip smart, but he's genuinely just a good guy. When I heard he was leaving HubSpot after nine years, I was really interested in hearing about what he was planning to do next. So interested, in fact, that he's now my boss. The truth is, and I'm echoing what a few coworkers at Databox have also said, I'd follow Pete anywhere. I wanted to interview Pete for the very first episode of Ground Up to hopefully shed some light on why that is, and to shed a light on the things he's built and what he's looking to build next. So Pete, this is uh, episode 001 of ground up and uh i couldn't think of a better way to start it off than to actually have you on as a guest even though you're my new boss and such an ass kisser (laughs) but uh so for the listeners like pete's going to be a big part of the show like he's going to be on here interviewing people too and there's going to be a lot of episodes where uh maybe it's just pete and i uh kind of talking through um, maybe something that we're going through uh, at, at Databox as sort of a story to support, you know, ground up and and some of the the growing pains or successes that we go through. But um, I figured there was no better like guest, quote unquote, to kick it off with <laughs> than Pete, just because he's got a great story to tell um, about his time building up um, the HubSpot partner program and how that sort of parlayed into where we're at now. Um, so yeah, episode zero zero one is is pete caputa but uh so so pete just to kind of launch into it most everyone knows you as the guy that built the hubspot partner program uh which you kind of willed into existence uh you know early in your time at hubspot but yeah. i guess like prior to that how did you how did you land at hubspot and and what was like your role within the company that first couple of years before you kind of like launched into the whole partner program well i will get to that question in a uh, second but first i want to say i'm beyond excited to have you on the team john and then i'm also very excited about uh having a podcast here and being able to have guests on and and tell our story as well so so um cool so your question was more around um you know what what did i do at hubspot before i started the partner program yeah, before you before you built the whole partner program, like what was your like? How, how did you how did you land there, and what was your role? Uh, so I was a salesperson. I was the fourth sales rep 
that joined HubSpot. Uh, before that, I had my own little startup. And along the way, I'd hired a sales coach. His name was Rick Roberge. Uh, he introduced me to Mark uh, about a year before I joined HubSpot, Mark Roberge, who was the VP of sales then, later became chief revenue officer. Now he's a professor, professor at Harvard Business School, and then a lot of people have read his book, The Sales Acceleration Formula. Uh, and so Mark and I started talking, uh, actually gave them some really early feedback on the product. They were building some weird like combination of an intranet if you well, a lot of people don't even know what that means anymore but an intranet and like a <laughs> seo tools and content management system and they were trying to build software for small businesses but they had no idea what the purpose of it would have been uh and so i gave some feedback about how important lead generation is to smaller businesses and why they should focus there and uh and then about a year after that mark uh called me up and said hey i'm building out the sales team we raised the series a and I'm wondering if you're interested. And I said, no, not at all. I'm running my own thing and, and having a good time. And, uh, and then like a month or two later, kind of my, one of my, my main partner, who now actually runs the international uh, departments for, uh, for HubSpot, uh, G2, G2 Matani, he was my business partner in our startup. Uh, and he came to me, he's like, hey, I think I'm a little tired of this. It, it had been six years. We were barely making a living at it. Uh, I had just bought a house and my wife was like eight months pregnant. And so I called Mark up and said, Hey, what does that offer look like? And, and, uh, a week later I, I was starting at HubSpot. I never knew that G2 and you were connected. I never knew he was your business partner pre HubSpot. Yeah. I met G2 in 1999. Uh, he had just graduated and I was a year out of school. We were both working at a manufacturing company. I had just joined the IT team in order to launch an e-commerce uh, site. Um, and he was the develop one of the developers on the, on the project, and I was the guy that understood the engineering and the product stuff. And we spent like a half a million on consultants and launching that. And then like two years later, after $16,000 worth of sales, uh, we shut it down. <laughs> uh, so that was how I... Uh, the company was like company had been around literally since like the 1800s, and they sold custom products to manufacturers that went through distribution. And you know, so it was like, but Amazon, everybody was like getting into e-commerce, and the company thought, oh, we got to get into e-commerce, so they did it. And obviously, it was stupid upon reflection, but it didn't seem stupid at the time. <laughs> yeah, I think you both so, landed on your feet. Yeah, and uh, yeah, D two. Yeah, I started like a nights and weekends side side you know, business and it kind of grew into full-time thing for a little while. So, and and you mentioned Mark and, and Rick, like, uh, I didn't realize that that's how you got connected to Mark too, was through his, his father who, uh, would, uh, is, is, uh, is a great guy and notorious for like taking you to task and calling you out in the comment section on a blog. If you're not like on point. Yeah. yeah he like, doesn't screw around. No, that, doesn't let crap slide. That's yep. the great thing about a podcast is I don't know if we have to worry about <laughs> Rick, although he'll, he'll find a way, but yeah, he, <laughs> if, if you pass the sniff test with Rick, like you knew you, you wrote something that was like, that wasn't bullshit. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. Yep. So I actually dug up this article. I think it was Inc. Magazine. Um, <laughs> it was, I think in Halligan, it was, it was, it was part of the Inc. 500 issue, I think in like 2012 or something like that. Yep. And in the article, he talks about, the sort of like building the early days of the HubSpot partner program mentions you specifically, obviously. Um, and like this all happened back in like, Oh wait. And like you were really persistent in your efforts 
to sort of sell HubSpot via a partner channel too. Like at the time, HubSpot was was direct sales. You were, you know, early in on that team. And he had this yeah. quote in in the magazine that I wanted to read uh, on the show, and it was. Um, and, and this is Brian Halligan, CEO of HubSpot, talking about uh, the idea of building you know, the HubSpot partner program, selling through partners. Uh, this is his quote. I didn't like the idea. It just wasn't our business model. But he, meaning Pete, was persistent. Computer's a guy who's got startups running through his blood. In fact, prior to working at HubSpot, he ran his own startup. We said to him, if you want to do it so bad, start doing it nights and weekends and show us that this will work. So like, what was, <laughs> what was that whole... Um, you, you you got like half buy in there, like yeah, do do it on your time. <laughs> but like, what was that yeah. whole like buy in? Uh... It's kind of it's kind of like I tricked you into changing the homepage, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like working on your own time. Yeah, do do learned, an extra. Work. I learned reverse psychology from Brian. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, what was that like? What was that whole uh, buy in and then sort of proving so, the concept out? What was that like? Uh, well. Um, so I was in direct sales. I, I am like a tinkerer. Uh, if I'm not innovating, I'm not happy. If I'm not like solving problems or, you know, figuring out how to make something more efficient, I get kind of bored. And uh, I, I had been doing the direct sales thing there for a little over a year and a half. Uh, and and I had started working with a few agencies. Um, Dan Tire had started working with an agency or two. Actually, he brought on Paul Reitzer from PR2020. Um, there was a woman named Heidi Carlson um, that had brought on a few partners, and both Dan and Heidi got promoted to sales managers, and so I inherited their agencies. It was just a few of them at the time, and I started working with them and understanding what their challenges were in their business and figured out how to align what we were doing with what they needed to do. And and then I started talking to other agencies. I had like maybe 10 on board. Nobody told me no. So so I would, you know, talk to them about what deals they had and what they were selling and identify joint prospects that they might be pursuing or that we could pursue together. I'd help them on some sales calls, I'd coach them in between, help them think through their pricing, other strategy, and it just started working where agencies were bringing deals forward. And so that was like, it was just part of my job as a sales rep and it was helping me hit my quota. So it seems like an obvious thing for me to do. Uh, I started, you know, doing some content marketing towards agencies a little bit and, and realized that there was an opportunity there. Uh, a lot of the reps were actually getting agency leads and they were wasting time with them because the, the agencies back then would be curious about what we were doing. But uh, but rarely had the wherewithal to go out and sell it to their clients uh, without a lot of support, and so the direct reps stopped calling on them, and and so this big database of of agencies kind of built up, and I and then I said, all right, well I can make a program out of this, and if I get some marketing resources along with some sales resources, I can uh, I can probably make this thing scale because I can't can't figure out which one of these agencies are actually legit and will be able to sell. But if I do some marketing and kind of teach them what what they need to be doing and the right ones raise their hand, um, I could build something and, and, and close a lot more deals. So that was um, what I had asked to do. Um, and, I, and I wasn't really allowed to do it right away. But but uh, that's what I started petitioning. Is this, um, is this around the time where you were quote unquote fired from your day job? Because that was... Uh, so in the, uh, in that same article in Inc, not quite, not, not quite. Yeah. 
Yeah, no. So, so I think I pitched the program at least twice. It might have been three times. The first time might have been a little less formal. And then the third one, I remember the meeting. I can visualize it. It was in the corner office of the Cambridge Innovation Center at, uh, where HubSpot's headquarters were initially. And uh, it was like a conference room, you know, probably maximum seated 15 people, but it was fancy for us at the time. And like Brian was there, Jarmesh was there, Volpe was there, Mark Roberge, a guy named Jonah Lopen who ran services. Uh, I'm trying to think if anyone else is there. That might have been it. Oh, Dan Tire. Uh, and so Dan and I kind of tag teamed the presentation. It was mostly my presentation. Um, and then at the end, like they all went around the room and said why they didn't want to do it. <laughs> and, Brian, and Brian listened to it. And, and then and and then Dan Tire started kind of jumping up and down. I don't know if you know Tire, but like of he course, yeah. and he doesn't give up. And so he was talking about how you're stupid if you don't do this, and like you guys got to do this. Dan had actually was one of the largest Lotus Notes resellers. Um, back in the day, and he ended up selling his his company um, for I think a good sum, and uh, and so he understood the channel model, and he totally saw it. And so as I was leaving the room, uh, I thought I thought it was dead, and I was going to be like, all right, whatever. And uh, and so Brian's like, okay, you can do it, and I'm like, what? And like I'm literally walking out of the room, so I had to like turn around and say, what? He's like, and then he said, and. Uh, and and you're reporting to Volpe from now going forward. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you have a problem with that? I'm like, no, okay. Because <laughs> uh, I had been reporting to Tyre at the time. And Tyre, you know, I figured Tyre had, had channel experience, so it would have been relevant. But Volpe's point during the meeting uh, was that, you know, if it's going to work, we need to make sure that we get higher productivity out of it. It's not worth the hassle, in, in it, from his perspective, at least at the time, uh, to have partners if uh, if the sales reps that are working with the partners aren't doing higher level of sales productivity or bringing in more more revenue per month, um, and so so we applied a lot of marketing to it, and that was a good call to have having report to Volpe because it cleared the way for me to get some marketing assistance um, back in the day. Right, and then you you kind of built out a team from there. Um, but yeah, I mean, in the in that same article, like just to follow up on that first quote, Halligan ended up saying about you, he killed it. He blew the numbers out. I said, okay, you're fired from your day job. Your nights and weekends job is now your new day, your new day job. Go get them. So now yeah. this was sort of like, was this sort of like the beginning, like the birth of the partner marketing? Like, I mean, Pat Shea and, and Albert. He didn't really fire me from my day job. I basically kept my day job. I had to continue <laughs> hitting on my top yeah, yeah, hitting my quota. And I launched the program. I I worked with him, literally him and uh, a woman named Jordan Wu, um, uh, to like build a deck. We did a launch webinar. Uh, I remember being like there. It was like must have been like ten or eleven o'clock at night, and we were like finishing up the slides. And he started saying, "Is twenty percent margin enough?" He said, and I said, "Yeah, it's enough," because it would come out of my quota. And I also just didn't think – I actually didn't think the the margin was necessary at all um, back then. And 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 then I got the deck from him like in the morning, and he had changed it to 30%. Um, and so right before the webinar kicked off, I changed it back to 20%. <laughs> um, and, and that's kind of like how we launched the webinar. But at, at that point, he, I still had a quota. I start, but then I started doing like 2 to 3x of – MRR monthly recurring revenue um, that like even the top direct reps were doing. So at that point, you know, Brian's like, all right, there might be something here. 
Um, and even though there was still resistance internally, uh, yeah, there was a lot going on and there was a lot of valid reasons to not do it, um, because the numbers were so good. Uh, and you know, not just the, not just the acquisition numbers, but onboarding and retention numbers seemed good. Um, so there was a lot of reasons to, to push it forward. So at that point, uh, at, one, at some point they said, all right, add reps to the team. Um, but and then we, but the quota was higher for each of the reps, and I had to maintain my quota for a while. Um, and so that was that was kind of like so I went from like one job to two jobs to three jobs until <laughs> I finally said I can't do this anymore, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've you you also said that um, Brian had or Halligan had good reasons not to like the idea because it was pissing a lot of people off. Like what what was disruptive? To, to others, I guess about uh, about building that channel up. It was um, so yeah. It was it was pissing a lot of people off. The he actually brought me into to the room. This is right like right after he greenlit. There's the way everything at HubSpot kind of worked, and I think it still works to a degree. Is that like somebody owns the problem or the project, and there's gates almost where you like get to a certain point and then you might need more resources or it might make sense to expand it. In which case you put together a deck, you pitch the kind of the management team and, and, and it's, it's go or no go, or there's, you know, you work through solutions, et cetera. And so it I just passed another gate, I think for lack of a better term. And, and like he said, book some time with me tomorrow. And so he booked, we booked some time, go walk into the conference room and he said, uh, He's, he's, he said something like, it's been really tough around here lately, um, a lot of issues. And I'm like – and I started to like almost relate to it. I'm like, yeah, it has been difficult. And he's like, and all the and all the problems are caused by you. <laughs> You're the problem. <laughs> and so – and I was pretty clueless uh, about it. Uh, I was just doing my thing. I think just the very fact that we had partners involved, specifically post-sale, um, and we didn't have a process for it at the time, or a team uh, for it, was causing issues on the on the on the onboarding and the setup right, process sure. for the customers. And so, so that was an issue. Yeah, I was asking for marketing resources, and that was an issue. I think everybody was focused on getting the numbers to the right spot uh, for the Series B. I think. Uh, and, and so everybody was stressed out and just like, that was a constant state at HubSpot. Everybody had really aggressive goals and, and distractions were difficult to manage. So I was, if anything, just a distraction and, um, inadvertently, um, thing. And I apologized and I don't think anyone really believed me, but, but, um, but, that, but since the numbers are so darn good and pretty much data rules, decisions at HubSpot, um, I kept moving. How did you, like how did you guys eventually and obviously it was a big team effort you scaled that team eventually you had you know there was partner marketing you know I was uh, w- yep. which which was a, a massive benefit to partners like I, I was you know uh, part evidence of that like w- how did you guys start figuring it out like w- at what point was it um, did the headaches uh, which you know uh, are always exist but at what point did the benefits um well they always did otherwise you wouldn't have kept doing it but when did i guess they i guess outnumber the amount of headaches that you guys were having like do you remember a time where it was like this is this is really working like we have a process down like this it, we could scale it was this. it was from like day one to year six the numbers were always good yeah uh, uh most SaaS companies measure uh 
lifetime value of the customer and customer acquisition cost and look at it by different channels, whether that's marketing or sales channels. And we, we treated the, 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 the program as a separate sales channel. And so we'd look at the lifetime value of the customers that partners brought on and the CAC, uh, the customer acquisition cost. And that ratio was always higher, um, especially in the early years for the partner program, meaning that you know, for every dollar we put in, we get more dollars out um than than in the direct model and so there was no there was never like a doubt in the early years after it got going of whether or not it was a good thing to do and i would suggest that like for certain years it provided the growth for the company that you know allowed it allowed the company to to hit that trajectory um and so so i think it was it was never really uh it was always outweighing the 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 distraction and it was just a matter of like the early years everybody else had their own things to worry about and this was a distraction for what they were trying to figure out and there was a lot to figure out everywhere um, but once we started figuring those things out and we put more resources to figuring out how to customize our processes when partners were involved um, a lot of those problems kind of went away those earlier issues went away and obviously you were there you were at hubspot for a really long time nine years so a lot happened we can't cover all of it but um <laughs> up up until the time you left like what what percentage of revenue did the partner program account for and and obviously uh i mean i know you felt vindicated the whole time because the, num- <laughs> the numbers were performing and uh, if there were any detractors in those early days i'm sure like uh it, n- not only the revenue but the community that was built off the back of this, you know, partner days, um, now are international, but, um, you know, having partner days in Cambridge, uh, where all the partners would come out and spend a couple nights, uh, those, those became really great community events. Um, and now I'm sure you like, there's HubSpot partner agencies in like Italy and all, all over the globe. So yep. I guess I talked to a platinum HubSpot partner today from Chile. That's crazy. Data box. So like, yeah. I guess like, yeah. Yeah, like I think the first question I asked was what what percentage of the revenue did the program account for? But like, what is your overall feeling when you look back at not not just the numbers; those are important, but like the community that you helped build and create. Yeah, that's um, I think that's a big part of it. And it's it's a lot of I don't think people realize it outside of the community that much. I, I'd even suggest that. People inside a lot of people inside HubSpot don't quite grasp it, um, and so I think yeah, that's that's the pretty I don't know, it's a really cool cool thing. It's something we did from the early days uh, is try to really foster a community of people that cared about each other. Um, but yeah, so the I think you had a bunch of questions there, but it's, it's about forty percent of revenue as of Q three two thousand sixteen, which is when when I left HubSpot. Um, I think that's the last time they actually announced those numbers uh, as well. So I'm not sure what the numbers are. And plus, I'm I'm no longer an insider, so I don't know. Um, but as far as like the yeah, like the numbers are obviously what drove the decisions internally. Uh, I think what kept it growing, though, you know, part of that it was the community and. In the beginning, uh, it was it was like each partner kind of I was working with or my team was working with. Uh, but then as soon as we started doing more training for partners for agencies and more marketing and co-marketing with agencies, uh, a lot of partners got to know each other and learn from each other. You've probably read uh, Paul Racer's book, 
uh, the marketing agency sure. blueprint. And for years, like he was always a little bit ahead of the pack in terms of like figuring things out um, compared to other household partners. And so um, for years, I was begging him, or you know, it's like you gotta, you gotta write this stuff, you gotta share this stuff. He's like, he's like, no, it's kind of our secret sauce. I'm like, no, you'll benefit from from writing it out and sharing it. And and so eventually, I convinced him. He wrote the book, and um, but all along, you know, partners were sharing what they were doing. Kuno Creative was sharing. There was Square Two Marketing was sharing. There's a lot of a lot of partners that are doing really well now that that were small then and shared both the both the victories and the bruises and that, that helped a lot of people um, learn things, avoid issues, uh, and that that community is is uh, is still there. Uh, you know, it's it's a massive number of agencies, so not everybody knows everybody, but but at, most of the time when I talk to a, a HubSpot partner, they know and are friendly with at least one or two other ones. And I think that's really important um, it, 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 uh, we, that we can all kind of, the, you know, the, all, all ships rise. And I look at it from a perspective of abundance. And I think agencies that look at it from that perspective of like, there's plenty of clients out there. Uh, and just because I help this other agency doesn't mean I'm not going to be successful too. Uh, and so, so I think that's been an important part of, of the, of the program. So, a tough question. Why did you end up leaving HubSpot? Which was Oof. what almost a year ago. I should have probably looked at these questions first. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it was a year ago. Um, I left in January. I um, in two thousand. What's this? The seventeen? Like at the end of two thousand fifteen, I knew that I didn't want to keep doing what I was doing, and I went to Halligan and said, "Hey, I think I, I need to. I'm going to move on." And he asked me to stick around for a little while. And we brainstormed on what I could be doing, and I ended up writing for the sales blog and helping him figure some sales partner stuff out that I ultimately handed off to to Brian Signorelli before I left. Um, and so I basically blogged for a year. That was fun, um, and but it was it was a tough tough yeah tough decision. I was there for nine years. Very grateful to the team. Um, you know the executives Brian Darmesh and all my old bosses Mark and Dan and Mike and Hunter and everybody else that I worked with and worked for me or, or etc. Um, and I still keep in touch and we're as you know we're still in the same building <laughs> as HubSpot so I see people in the hallways <laughs> all the time. You know if it wasn't for HubSpot I wouldn't be able to bought the house I'm in I you know, wouldn't have money saved for my son's college so so like it's a it was a big deal for me and I'm still long still in stock. Um, I think you know HubSpot's going to be around for a long time. Brian has an ambition of making a, building a billion dollar company, and and I know he'll, in a few years, and I know he'll get there at some point. And I'm confident he will. Um, but for me, you know, I joined when it was 15 people. I left; it was roughly 1,500 plus. Um, so it just got big, uh, and I went from having a job that was like 80% innovation every day to like 10% innovation once a year. And I, and I think that was the right decision for the company. That's where you know the company figured a lot out, and it was time to execute. And there's literally hundreds of thousands of of companies in there, total addressable market. So, totally the right call for the company. But for me, it just I got very frustrated and bored. Um, so, so it was kind of time for me to go find a new challenge or you know do something a little more entrepreneurial again. And this sort of segues to into 
into that, which we'll get to in a minute. But like it, in terms of like anything you would have done differently in building the, the partner channel um, or, or just the role at, at AppSpot in general, when, when you look back at that time, is there anything that you would do differently? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, for sure. I think, um, you know, I, my baby is like was the partner program and, you know, if, if I was making all the strategic decisions, I would have made done things differently. Uh, not to say that the ones that were made were the wrong ones. I think it's just when uh, yeah, somebody's got to make strategic decisions, and uh, you know, it wasn't wasn't always me. Especially once the program got big, um, you know, it was a time where the program got big and everybody wanted to help, um, and I was still kind of charter chart in charge or charged with leading the the vision and execution of the program and that was a great time and then uh we hit some walls along the way as the company grew as all the sales channels both direct and indirect grew uh we had a lot more conflict internally we started to have some you know conflict between direct sales and partners um and i think hubspot kind of reached a point where they had to decide, do we go all in with um, co-marketing and co-selling with our partners or do we you know, keep the two channels separate, the direct channel and the, and the indirect channel, and, you know, and, and try to uh, pick the right partners, work with bigger partners, help our partners grow. And I think they, they went down the road of like – of keeping those channels separate and i think that ultimately limited what i was able to do to help partners and help as many partners as i wanted to help um there's like a quarter million agencies out in the world and i think i and we had figured out ways to help them um but because of the the way the company was structured it became harder and harder to to continue you know working with more and more agencies and helping more and more of them more um so so i think um so you know, it, it not they weren't my decisions all along. You know, all, every every one of the decisions weren't mine, and I didn't always think that um, they were the wrong decisions or the right decisions necessarily. But the, I couldn't get passionate about it. Uh, it wasn't wasn't really my what I wanted to be doing. And it's it's cool that a, a part of your mission still to this day is is about working with those with a lot of those same partners that you develop relationships over the years with at HubSpot. Um, so when you, when you left HubSpot and you joined Databox, you wrote this great blog article, like describing, um, a lot, some of which you, you talked about today, but like uh, about your time at HubSpot, you know, building the partner program, um, why it was your time to leave. Um, but I remember texting you after I read that article, cause it was like, it was amazing. And, and, and you were one of those guys I, I didn't think would ever, whatever leave right you were like um you were there since i mean as early as you can get without being a founder and yeah. so like i read this article and it was amazing and i reached out to you uh i think maybe that the day i read it and i was like congratulations like what's next and and i remember you saying uh which stuck with me for some reason i remember you saying you know um when i left you know the the, the previous company that I had founded and, and went to upspot i didn't bring my network with me and i always regretted that this time you know I, i'm bringing my network with me and obviously at the time I didn't have the context to really know what you're know sort of like what you meant by that. But now being obviously at Databox and seeing like the, the really tight uh, relationships and integrations that we have with the HubSpot community, like uh, it, it makes a lot of sense. So uh, two questions, one, um, like why Databox um, when you left HubSpot? And then two, like why, why the HubSpot partner agencies as like uh, the beachhead um, for go to market? Like why did that work so well? 
or why is that working so well? Uh, oof. Um, so I wouldn't say I had like a master plan when I left. Uh, I was going to start my own business. Uh, it would have, wouldn't have been, you know, it wouldn't, it would have been a software company, but it wouldn't have been necessarily what Databox is doing. Uh, but, um, yeah, I met, Davern along the way, actually one of the uh, EIRs, Entrepreneur in Residence at Accomplice, which is one of Databox's investors. Um, and, uh, I grabbed coffee with him because I he had I gotten introduced to him from another company I was advising. He said, hey, this company is looking for a new CEO. I think you're a great fit for it. You got to meet with him. I'm like, I'm not really looking for that. I'm like going to start my own thing. And uh, and he insisted, he was like a very insistent dude. Um, and so I ended up meeting with Darren, like it's kind of the same way, uh, same conversation I had with like Mark in 2007, which he's like, Hey, I'm looking for this. And you, you're, you know, you look like you have the right experience for what we need. And I'm like, oh, I'm not really looking for, for that. Um, and I, and I said no to him, uh, but he was also pretty persistent. So I, so I'm like, all right, well, I'll help you out. I'll give you some, you know, I'll help you, I'll advise you um figure out what you're doing see if there's ways that i can help with with connections things like that and so the first thing i did was was just like ask a bunch of agency owners to check it out the the one you know specifically hubspot partners for the most part um and the feedback was kind of lukewarm so i i dove in a little bit to the product to figure out what it was doing and, and they did have a hubspot connection but it was very lightweight um and so so I basically went back to Davern. I'm like, yeah, I don't know that I can do much with this. Like I had some people look at it. I looked at it. Unless you build like a really deep integration with HubSpot, um, it's not interesting to me because I feel like I would have to start over in a whole new industry and segment. And I said, well, we can we can fix that. And like, you know, fast forward to today, we have like a really deep integration with HubSpot. We're pulling like 150 plus uh, metrics out of HubSpot so that, uh, agencies can then take that and uh, report their results more simply to clients, um, and so so that's you know that's kind of how it happened, and and then you know um, it made more sense at that point for me to join. I joined a CEO, and basically it was me in the beginning and the go-to market team. There were twelve of us, eleven of which were product and uh, customers, you know, reactive kind of customer support, and so I started selling it and. And that was going well. I started onboarding companies. I was doing the marketing, and and then uh, we raised a little bit of money, uh, and then I started uh, adding, you know, adding people, and and it's gone from there. <laughs> um, so, so it's kind of it's kind of worked out somewhat organically. Um, I think you also asked another question, and they're like, why, why DataBox? And uh, you know, obviously the software is awesome, and I love selling software. It's like a great business to be in. It helps a lot of people. Um, there's infinite scale to software companies. Uh, but what I saw in Databox was an opportunity to really help agencies in a way that I wanted to do it. Uh, and so we've made a bunch of changes since I've joined. Uh, we have a very generous free version of the product for agencies. Um we're launching a bunch of things that help agencies monitor all of their clients' important KPIs in one spot, monitor achievement to goal, uh, report those results out to clients. Um, and we do that across like 50 plus pieces of software. And so the 
possibilities are kind of endless, and I think it's a hell of a basis for building a really big business that can help a lot of agencies, uh, not just with delivering their services to clients or reporting results to clients, but but going to market with 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 agencies. Uh, and it's kind of you know the the path I would have loved to take if I had the opportunity at HubSpot, which which is to really embrace uh, agencies as a as the primary um, go-to market model, and in doing so, leverage um, our our freemium tools and our content to not just get clients for us or customers for us, but to get clients for agencies. And so we're doing a bunch of things already. We're sending, literally sending um, more than a thousand leads out to, to agencies every month now um, through our template directory where agencies can submit uh, report templates that our users download. Uh, we're doing a lot of co-marketing, content co-marketing with agencies. You know, we've more than six x our traffic, and we're sending a lot of that traffic out to client, out to partners. So, this is like kind of my opportunity to build what I had envisioned, which was a, a massive software company with a massive content marketing footprint, uh, helping a large number of agencies in really meaningful ways. So, that's that's why Databox. Yeah, that's uh, that. That kind of went into my next question too, which was like, "What is your, what is, I mean, uh, you had a vision with the HubSpot Partner Program that sparked, like, like I mentioned before, this global community, really tight knit community, uh, that ended up representing, you know, over forty percent uh, of revenue at HubSpot. So, like, your vision at DataBox, but you kind of, you kind of just got into that, like, um, but I guess at a, at a higher level, like, what do, what, what, what is your, uh, what is your vision for DataBox? Maybe a few years. Um, like uh, a few years out, like obviously there's going to be uh, a, a partner program that that goes deeper into, um, like you were mentioning, bringing uh, you know bringing services to market and, and helping them get their next clients. But do you have like a um, uh, 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 what you foresee like a vision much like you did for the, the partner program on on where DataBox would be? Yeah, so um, it's, it's really integrating a community of partners in with. And their and their know-how into a software product, um, and so that we can help lots of companies together. I think when I look at the the BI space, business intelligence space, or the dashboarding software space, it's, or even just the martech and sales tech space, like it's ridiculously complicated. It's there's no possible way that a that a, a small business can can figure out what technology they should use, how they should use it. You know what marketing they should prioritize, what sales, you know, approaches they should prioritize. It's it's ridiculously complicated now, um, and I, you know, I, there's most companies are using you know five, ten, eleven hundreds of software tools, depending on the size of the company usually. Um, but even small businesses, I think we have a stat of like they use on average use eleven marketing products, and so it's just become hard to actually know what the hell's working. And but the data box is kind of first step here is to help help companies pull all that data and into one spot and make it viewable and visible to everyone in the organization on any device. Uh, And then more importantly, track performance against goals so that people can be held accountable to them and people can see how how the organization is performing in real time. And we look at most organizations, they 
you know, a handful of people log into a handful of different tools to get a partial snapshot of how the business is performing. So I think we have this opportunity to really, to really pull that together. And then the next step from that is really helping people improve their numbers, giving them, giving them guidance on, on what's good. You know, is this good compared to other companies like, like mine or like, like theirs? Um, is, should I be focused on this metric or this metric? If I want to focus on this metric or this is the right one to focus on, how should I improve it? And then who can help me with that? Should I should I use another piece of software that can help me with that, or should I hire somebody, whether it's an agency or a consultant or a person, um, to improve that? And I believe that DataBox can be a platform that really drives that, and in so doing, drives the performance of of companies so that they can really get where they want to go and achieve what's important to them, both as as companies and as individuals. You're good at this, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized this would have been like. I should have done this prior to joining data, because this would be like, I'm sold. Like I, I I'm in dude. Like I, let, let's do this. You know, like the, this is a great recruit. This would have been a great recruiting tool. Just be like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to like mask this interview with B as, as, as like a podcast, but really it's just like a recruiting thing. Like I want to see like where, where he's taking this thing, but yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's exciting. And, um, I'm glad you, I'm glad I didn't have to give you the hard sell. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Uh, and uh, no, uh, this was great, Pete. I appreciate you like riffing on on all this stuff as I'm as sure. part of episode zero 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 one. Um, Out of me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and just so you guys know, Pete wrote down some of these questions. So if they seemed hard hitting, like don't let them fool you. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let him fool you. Oh, yeah. You shocked me with a few there. <laughs> this is a lot of fun though, and I hope uh the listeners enjoy it. I mean, this this is our first episode, so Pete, you and I are probably gonna look back at this uh after I don't know, how many? Hundreds? Uh, more? Yeah, there'll be less ums and stuttering next yeah, time. And, and yeah, and it's gonna be like, man, what what were we doing? But um it's it's uh it feels like it's it's the start of something really big and really special. Um and we want you, the listeners, to to be a part of it. Um, in these early days, though, these early days of ground up, I'm going to be asking favors uh, of you guys as listeners and, um, you know, uh, being so kind as to to give us a review on iTunes. Obviously, five stars is uh, uh, mm-hmm. where we feel we're at, you know, um, <laughs> but uh, th- that, that would be huge, um, as I said, during these early days of ground up to have your support. Uh, just the fact that you're listening and listening this far in to the first episode, like means it's 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 exactly you who we're talking to. And we're glad to have you here. So any support uh, that you guys could give us is massively appreciated and will be paid back in dividends as this becomes uh, even bigger. So we thank you guys for being part of part of our very first episode, and uh, there's going to be plenty more to come. Uh, so keep listening. We're we're looking forward to uh, to being here for you guys. Yes, thank you, thank you for all of everyone that's listened to this and also joined joined up with DataBox. We have several hundred partners and customers, and uh, we appreciate your business and we want to want to help help you get where you want to go. So please don't hesitate to to let us know how we can help with that. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.